0: All right. All right. Settle down. Settle down. Man. Hi, everybody. Well, as you can see, we have a double treat for you guys. First treat is that we got rid of Sean. And second treat is that Don Stewart is here today to bless us with a message. Thank you, Don. Come on up. Morning. Now, you're clapping because you got rid of Sean. Is that why... Okay, I didn't. All right. Nice to be here. Good to see everybody again. It's been a while. Every time Mike asked me to come and speak, unfortunately, I'm somewhere else, but this time it worked out because it's always first come, first serve, and it's always a blessing to see you folks here and watch what the Lord is doing, and God is so good, isn't he? He is so, so very good. It's a, it's really a fabulous time to be alive, too. We've um, watched the Lord do some fa- uh, things that are literally incredible some of you know and some of you don't i do a uh, not only the radio program on pastor's perspective four days a week answering bible questions but also i have a tv program doing three days a week on his channel called breaking news www.hischannel.com his channel is by far the number one christian television network on the internet and from 10 to 11 on monday wednesday and thursday we spend an hour looking at the events that are taking place in the world and show it how it relates to last day's Bible prophecy. And the Lord has blessed the ministry there, um, above and be- literally above and beyond our wildest dreams. It's been uh, mind-boggling. For example, every time someone watches a program there, it counts as a page view. If you watch, like, you know, my program or one of the other ones, it's, it's a page view. We're on 24-7 Christian television. And the, I think the last month we did Calc, was July. The month of July, I believe it was, we'll figure out. It takes a while for uh, this to come down. The month of July, in one month, we had over 440 million page views in one particular month there on his channel. So, the Lord, yeah, isn't that great? So, uh, <laughs> it's literally mind-boggling. And what I tell you what's really neat now is that uh, in when we did those figures, we also found out that, of the viewers were from outside of the United States of America. Usually we had about only 20%. Now it's almost 50% here in the U.S. and 50% overseas. We know they're watching all around the world. In fact, when Pastor Chuck and I used to do the program uh, World News Briefing, uh, I remember one time Dennis, who owns the station, came back at the halfway point. He said, i got a little gizmo in the back, and I can tell you this. You're being watched now live in 165 countries. Isn't that amazing with the technology here? So, got it's just mind-boggling to watch what the what the Lord is doing. Anyway, Mike asked me to do a, a message on the signs of the times, and so I'm going to do it. So, uh, we're going to talk about. Um, I, wrote, I wrote a book called 25 Signs We're Near the End, and one of the things I did is not only show that we are getting near the time of the end of the Lord's return. But also, there's so much evidence there for the truthfulness of the Christian faith. If anybody really wants to know if the Christian faith is true, they can find out by watching what's happening right now in the world. And something else, too, and this is very, very important. When we talk about this subject, it isn't just to satisfy curiosity, to let us know what's going to happen in the future. Every single time there is a prediction made in Scripture, it is always to meet a human need that was there at the time. In other words, whenever God had to, uh, you know, show the people of his day that something was great coming in the future, there was a definite need that had to be met. So we're going to meet your need, hopefully, today on a number of levels. Number one, to show you that the Bible is what it claims to be, the Word of God, that we are in the last days, the time of the end, as the signs are, are there for us. But also, too, that the same God who has met the needs and fulfilled the promises with respect to the world is also meeting the needs of you and me, because we all come in here with needs. There's things going on in all of our lives. We need to know there's a God that's in control. That's why I love doing this subject. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first three verses there, which kind of set the stage for everything. Genesis 12, 1-3, this is one of these passages that should be familiar to all of us. It is one of the most important passages of all of Scripture because it sets literally the tone for the entire Old Testament and the coming of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 it's the Lord speaking to Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you." All right, there's a number of specific promises <clears throat> in this uh, passage that are made to this man, Abram. Now, the word Abram in Hebrew means like high father, or grandfather, exalted father, and that was the name of the patriarch here, but he's told to leave his country to a land that God's going to show him, and God tells him he's going to have descendants that are going to be as numerous as the scars in the sky, the sand in the seashore, and the whole world will be blessed through his name. This is the promise that was made. Some 4,000 years ago, he left this place, Ur of the Chaldees, to go to the land of promise. But as we read the Bible, as he got there, and this is our first sign of the end, it's called the miracle of Israel's survival because we're dealing with the miracle of their beginning, too. Because he gets to the promised land with his wife, Sarah, and they don't have any children. The pro- where's the promise of the descendants? Uh, after a while, uh, the, Abram said, well, okay, let Eliezer, my servant, be the heir, which is really interesting in light of the uh, the, uh, the the. Traditions in those days, the laws that we've actually discovered at the time of Abram, that uh, uh, if a person didn't have physical descendants, their heir could be the one that takes over and, and take their name. So he said, Let Eliezer do it. So God said, No, no, it's going to be one of your physical descendants. Well, after a while, you know, again, getting older and older. And uh, so Sarah suggested, Well, how about Hagar taking my he says, I'm not conceiving. And there was also, we know, the laws of surrogacy in that day that uh, you can, you know, for a slave slash uh, woman, you can actually make her son the heir. And Ishmael was born, but God said, no, there's still going to be a son for you. And that his name, you know, is going to be Isaac. He shall cause to laugh. And that's exactly what happened. But can you imagine the situation? Before Isaac was born, Abram uh, had an experience with God. And his name was then changed to Abraham, Avraham, father of a multitude. All right, you ever think about the situation after that happened when he's hanging around some of his friends around the tent one day? They said, Abram, what's new? And he said, you know, funny you should ask. God just spoke to me and he said he's going to change my name. I'm no longer Abram. I'm Abraham. Abraham, the father of a multitude, because my descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky, many as the sands of the seashore, and the entire world is going to be blessed through my descendants. Now, what do you think the response would have been to Abram's friends when he said something like that? Probably something like this. Abram, get out of the sun. You're, you've been in the sun too long. You don't have any descendants. I'm sorry. Look at you. Look yourself in the mirror. I mean, look how old you are. You know, your, your descendants are going to be like the stars, of the sky, the sand of the seashore. And plus, you know, your name's good. I know you're wealthy, but your name's going to be blessed throughout the world. Come on. And yet God's word came true. Uh, Eventually, when they were beyond the childbearing years, a hundred years of age, Abram, Abraham, and his wife Sarah conceived Isaac, and he was the promised heir. And from Isaac, the nation came about. Isaac, you know, then of course Jacob, the patriarchs, and Israel became a large nation. As number of stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. In other words, they multiplied continually. So God, first of all, the first miracle here is in the miracle of their survival is the way they got started. They got started supernaturally that Abram did have many descendants, but also something too, which we we often neglect to see that God promised this man not only was going to bless him with many descendants, he also was going to make his name great. Well, here we are in 2018. And if you're just counting noses around the world, the most respected name in the entire planet in the area of religion in the year 2018 is the name Abraham. It is. Judaism, Islam, Christianity all look to Abraham as the founder, you know, the human founder of the faithful, as it were. Of course, uh, Islam and Christianity believe in Jesus, although Islam has a different Jesus than us. But they respect him. Judaism does not; they don't believe Jesus the Messiah, and so that's why Abraham even has more people today respecting his name. Again, we're just counting noses worldwide than anyone else, you know, on the on on the planet who ever lived. Now, I don't know don't know about you, but I think that's pretty good. We're four thousand years ago. God said to Abram, "Your name's going to be blessed," and here we are in two thousand and eighteen. And he is blessed above every name, just again, if you're just counting noses on planet Earth, of a respected religious figure. So we have two initial promises fulfilled. A great nation came from him, his name is going to be made great. But God then continued to give promises to his descendants, and here again, like there was a need with Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and Sarah to have a child, another time in their history where God needed to come through and encourage the people when it seemed all hope was lost. And this was through the prophet Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah comes to the southern kingdom of Judah uh, when things aren't going real well. And he says that the kingdom is going to be taken into captivity for 70 years. You people are going to go to Babylon. And in Babylon, you need to get married, build houses, have kids, because you're going to be there 70 years. But you are going to come back because of the faithfulness of God. Now, when he made that prediction, there was something very important to understand. When nations were removed from their homeland, they never came back. In other words, once they would leave, it was unheard of that they would ever come back to their ancient homeland again, never. But Jeremiah said this is the promise of the Lord. So in Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37, he makes a promise now, this is the Lord, promise that his descendants, that's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would always exist. It says this, the Lord has made a promise to Israel, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-five. He promises it as the one who fixed the sun to give light by day and the moon and the stars to give light by night. He promises it as the one who stirs up the sea so that its waves will roll. He promises it as the one who is known as the Lord who rules over all. Here is what the Lord affirms. The descendants of Israel will not cease forever to be a nation in my sight. That could only happen if the fixed ordering of the heavenly lights were to cease to operate before me, the Lord says. I will not reject the descendants of Israel because of all they have done. That can only happen if the heavens above could be measured or the foundations below could be explored, foundations of the earth below could be explored, says the Lord. All right, here's what the Lord's saying. You're going into captivity, but remember this, when you're there, I have promised that you will still continue to exist as a nation. What happened? After 70 years, they did come back. So the promise now is not only will the nation come, come about, but they're going to continue to exist, the Lord says. But even more specifically, and this is for our purposes here, the Bible also says they're going to exist at the very Time of the end. And the time of the end means before God's kingdom comes to earth, there will be descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that still exist as a distinct people group. This is the promise of the Lord. And so. What the book of Daniel tells us in the 12th chapter, uh, Daniel, uh, is, as he's wrapping up the book, it's really interesting what's going on here. Um, Daniel's trying to figure out what's going on. He doesn't understand it at all. In fact, Daniel 12.4 uh, says, don't worry about it, Daniel. No one's going to understand until the time of the end. Many are going to go to and fro and try and find answers. And that's why we're living in such a great time, because he is told, literally, Daniel to shut up the book that he has written, until the time of the end and then the wise were told in verse 10 of chapter 12 will understand. Why? Because everything will start to make sense. Everything will come together. That's why when we do our program 25 signs, well program breaking news, we talk about the 25 signs we're near the end. I keep having this phrase I say over and over again, you can't make this stuff up. It is literally incredible how it all fits in perfectly with what the Lord has said is going to take place in the future. And in Daniel 12, it talks about a time of great trouble at the end, a great tribulation, same thing Jesus talked about. But God, it says, will deliver his people, Daniel. In fact, he says, at that time, Michael the archangel, Daniel 12, 1, who stands guard over your nation will arise. There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, Every one of your people, whose name is written in the book, will be rescued. Who's your people? That's the Jews. In other words, at the very time of the end, here is the promise, specifically that the Jews will still exist at the time of the end. So here's what we have. 4,000 years ago, God said to Abram, a great nation's going to come from you. Took, take, took place. Number two, your name's going to be made great. Check that one off. Number three, Jeremiah says, look, even though you're going to go into captivity, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you. Check that off. Number three, and then we read in Daniel at the time of the end, the people will be literally center stage, ground zero. They're going to be God's testament to the world, and they're going to, be, they're going to survive this time of great trouble. And so the Bible promises all these things are going to take place at the time of the end. In other words, they will still exist. These are specific promises. Now, what's also interesting too is in uh, Matthew's gospel. I won't turn to there. In uh, Matthew twenty four twenty, the Lord Jesus was asked about the signs of the end, and it's fascinating. He, he said, "When this time of great trouble or great tribulation takes place, pray that it doesn't happen in you know winter time or lousy weather." Or it happens on the Sabbath when you have to leave Jerusalem. And the reason he said that is because there were certain restrictions, what people could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Now, what's fascinating to me, this is made very came home very clear to me a number of years ago. I've been to Israel now uh, 18 separate times, 18 times in my life. Um, I wish I could get back there. I can't. I've been offered, in fact, the last been in six years, I've been offered, I think, a dozen trips, you know, I'll we'll pay your way this. I can't get away. i got too much to do here. But anyway, um, we'll find some way sometime to get away again. But anyway, be it as it may, my first time there, 1976, I was this young punk kid, you know, I, I able to go there, and I was with Josh McDowell, best-selling Christian author. He was making a film, and I got dragged along and taken along. It was great, fabulous time because I got to meet some very, you know, high people in the Israeli government, high officials and the such like. But one of the interesting things there was the first Sabbath day when I spent in the city of Jerusalem. We stayed at the Hilton Hotel, which is, um, I think it had about nine or ten stories there. We were up like the ninth story, something like that. So it's time for breakfast, and the Israeli breakfasts are second to none, so I couldn't wait to go down for that. So I go, and I, I, you know, I see the elevator is open. So I go and step into it, and the door shuts, and I notice something. Every floor, the light's on, it's pushed. So what's this? And so we go, I'm on the ninth floor. Elevator stops the eighth, opens up. No one's there okay fine you know closes again goes to the seventh floor you know opens up people come on you can say you know either boker tov you know if you're hebrew or you bonjour or good morgan or whatever it might be you know because you get people from all over the world you say hello anyway every single floor that elevator stopped and it opened and closed no one had to push any buttons well i i don't know what's going on anyway i get finally to the bottom then i realize i left something in the room i gotta go back up I hope it's not the same going up so I get back in the elevator and guess what all the buttons were pushed I go all the way up again all the way back finally after coming down literally about a half 25 minutes half hour later <clears throat> I went to the front desk and I said I gotta ask you something what's going on what's the deal with these elevators here and they all started laughing at me they said well you got in the Sabbath elevator well I know that's what I said it's the Sabbath isn't it? so I got in the Sabbath elevator they said no 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 on the Sabbath Remember, you're not supposed to do any work, and it's determined by the religious authorities pushing a button in the elevator is doing work on the Sabbath. You can't do that, so it has to be all done for you. That's why people that get in the Sabbath elevator have to, you know, don't do any work. They let the elevator take them up, take them down. But if you would have been paying attention a little bit down the hall is the Gentile elevator goes straight down to the bottom and straight up. great now you tell me anyway but um and it's it's always funny on our trips too to watch people you know we warn them but they don't pay any attention you know i watch them get in the sabbath elevator for breakfast you know see in a half hour they don't know what i'm talking about but anyway but here's what got me i started thinking about it here i was in 1976 and what's going on the jews are still keeping the sabbath still keeping the sabbath as jesus predicted they would in the last days i thought that was amazing right now in front of our very eyes, these things being fulfilled. <clears throat> One of the things I always wanted to do, and I finally did in this book and in these talks, is something I've threatened to do over the years. I've wanted to. I've mentioned this in a number of talks, but I, in putting the signs of the end, what I did, I bought about, you know, 30 books, 30, 30 40 books that were written anywhere from about 80 to 100 years ago to 300 years ago by Bible-believing Uh, teachers who look forward to the future. They believed in God had a literal future for Israel. They're uh, prophecy teachers. And reading what they said about the time of the end and what kept them going. And what was interesting to me, there's something I didn't know, uh, my 25 signs, the first two was the ones that kept them going at their particular time because they could see God still working. Although the great number of signs that you and I are seeing today, they saw none of them as we are seeing there. But one of the signs was the miracle of Israel's survival. This is what was mind-boggling to them, living some 18th century, 17th centuries, 18th centuries after the fact. I want to read you one quotation. I've got a number, but this one in particular, this Englishman named J.C. Ryle, he's writing in about the middle of the 19th century, about 1850, and he's given a testimony <clears throat> of why we're to believe God has con- continued to come through with his predictions. Let me read what he said. <clears throat> Quote, "...but though Israel has been scattered, Israel has not been destroyed. For eighteen hundred years the Jews have continued as a separate people, without a king, without a land, without a territory, but never lost," and here's the key, "...never absorbed among the nations. They have often been trampled underfoot, but never shaken from the faith of their fathers. They've often been persecuted, but never destroyed." At this very moment, they are as distinct and peculiar a people as any people upon the face of the earth. Now, here is the key. Here is the punchline what he's getting to. Uh, again, he's an Englishman living there in the 19th century. Here's his statement. Romans, Danes, Saxons, Normans, Belgians, French, German have all in turn settled on British soil. All of them in turn have have lost their national distinctiveness. All of them in turn have become part and parcel of the English nation after a lapse of a few hundred years. But it has never been so with the Jews. Then he went on to say this, dispersed as they are, there is a principle of cohesion among them to which no circumstances have been able to melt. Scattered as they are, there is a national vitality which is stronger than that than any nation on the earth settle where you please in hot countries or in cold you will find the jews but go where you will and settle where you where, where you please this wonderful people is always the same scattered as they are few in number to compare to those amongst who they live the jews are always the jews three thousand years ago balaam said this is balaam the gentile prophet the people shall dwell alone and not be reckoned among the nations. We have seen these words made good before our eyes, close quote. How brilliantly said. Now, here's what these prophecy teachers all observe. They're living like, you know, 1850, 1750, 1780, you know, 1890, whatever. Wherever they go in the world, there are Jews. But the Jews are always a distinct people. They look the same, they act the same, they have the same laws, the same rules. They never become absorbed amongst the nation they live in. And so this was true. No matter where you go on the, in the world, there's always Jews living there, but they never are, they're always this distinct people. The other nations, like you said, the Saxons, the Normans, the Belgians, the French, they go to Britain. They're Englishmen after a couple hundred years, never the Jews. So it, what, what was the point was, if that's the case, then God has kept them a distinct people because he has a future for them. And that's what kept these people going realizing God had, you know, made these people a distinct individual group to be a testimony to the world. So to summarize our first sign of the end, the miracle of Israel's survival, what's been fulfilled? A great nation came from Abram. His name has been made great. They've continued to exist as a distinct people, and they exist in the last days as the sign of the end. And so the first thing that hit these people, uh, people that paid attention to the Bible and looked around, hey, how come they're the only nation, you know, that still exists as a distinct people? No, no other nation does that. What, what's so unique about them? Because God said through the prophet Balaam 3,000 years ago, that's going to be the case. Now, the second sign is what also kept them going. We call this, as their enemies have done to Israel, so God will do to them. Now, if you recall, when we read, read Genesis 12, to 3, God said, I'm going to bless those that bless Abraham's people, your people, but I'm going to pr- curse those who curse. In other words, if a nation or a group of individuals attempts to destroy or thwart the, the, you know, the progress of the people of God, God is going to judge them. Now, you, when you read and study through your Old Testament, among other nations, we're going to mention five, you see a number of nations that attempt to do that. The Amalekites, the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Edomites, and the Moabites. Each of these five nations attempted to thwart what Israel was attempting to do, get to the promised land. They all tried to destroy God's people. They tried to stop them from entering the land and thriving. And God pronounced judgment on each and every one of these five different nations, particularly through the prophet Ezekiel, but other places in scripture. God promised judgment and said, they will be no more. Why? Because they dared take on. God's people, the nation of Israel. All right, book written in 1995 called The uh, Archaeology of Society in the Holy Land. Listen to what the authors say, quote, By the time of Roman rule around 63 BC, the people of Ammon, Edom, and Moab had lost their distinct identities and were assimilated into Roman culture, close quote. Hmm. So today you will not see an Ammonite, a Moabite, an Edomite, an Amalekite, a Philistine. Every single one of these nations lost their distinct identity. They've been amalgamated in other nations or completely destroyed. Why? Because they dared take on the people of God. Yet Israel, against all odds, still exists. But as they say, there is more. There is another nation in Scripture that took on Israel and gave them many problems, that is the nation of Egypt. Yet the book of Isaiah tells us in the 17th chapter that Egypt, and 19th chapter, excuse me, in the 19th chapter, that Egypt will not only exist at the time of the end, Egypt will thrive and there will be a monument built to the Lord in the country of Egypt. Let me ask you something, are there still Egyptians today? Yeah, of course there are. And so, Sam, I can think about this for a second. Here we've got seven different people groups, the Jews, Egyptians, and then the five that were promised judgment against them. Two of them still survive today, the Jews and the Egyptians. The other five, nada. They're not here. So if my math is right, God is seven for seven with respect to these nations. Are we beginning to see a pattern here? I hope so. And this is something else that kept these people going. I got some great quotes in the 19th century from other you know, people who were looking at, uh, looking at the whole situation and say, wow, they're still Egyptians, they're still Israel, you know, even though they're scattered throughout the world, but these other nations are, are gone. Wow, how can that be if it were just coincidence? It's not, because God is working his plan out through the world, and it's objectively there for everyone to see. So along with sign one with four particular points under it, Sign two, we have six. And I should have mentioned, by the way, the 25 signs are just 25 specific points. Again, under sign one, we had four points. Under sign two, six, with the six nations specifically mentioned. Under sign three, there are seven points. Actually, there's 11 of them, but we're only going to get to, we'll try and get to seven of them here for the time. But the point is, God has given us many specific things uh, to look at. Now, sign three is the biggie. This is something these people look forward to seeing. They never did, and that is these, these Bible interpreters that you and I have seen in our life and our generation, And sign number three is that Israel will miraculously return to its ancient homeland in the last days. The Jews are going to miraculously return to their ancient homeland in, specifically, in the last days. That is a prediction in Scripture, um, as we're going to see. And this is the one that these people believed by faith it was going to happen, but they never saw it. All right, what's going on? Jesus said the people are going to be rejected by God for rejecting him, but not forever. Remember the last week of his life, he's um, about to go to the cross, and Luke 21:24, he's talking about Israel, and he's talking about them. They're going to fall by the sword; they'll be taken as prisoners. He says to all the nations, Jews will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Isn't is, you know not like Babylon, just one place to all the nations. Then he said Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. Then this great little word, until there'll be a time it won't. Until the times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled so in other words jesus saying this all right for rejecting me as the messiah here's what's going to happen you're going to be basically taken as captives to all and that's what happened they were taken to rome and rome sold them as slaves to all the four corners of the earth fulfilled there also too he said god is not through with you there's going to be a time when that's going to stop from happening and then specifically we are told this in ezekiel 38 8 and this is this is the key. That we all need to to look at and remember, in Ezekiel thirty-eight eight, the Lord is talking about an invasion that will come to the land of promise in the last days by these seven or eight nations around the um, that are living around Israel at that time. In fact, if you watch our program, we have almost every day, a sto- every program, a story on that of the uh, stage being set for that to miraculously happen. But anyway, what it talks about is an invasion that happens, and according to Ezekiel thirty-eight eight. <clears throat> twice in one verse, it says this, in the latter years, uh, after many days, you will be summoned. He's talking to a leader that's going to come and attack Israel. In the latter days, after many years, you'll be summoned to the land. In other words, this is going to happen only at the time of the end. So pay attention here. At the very time of the end, when Israel still exists, there will be an invasion of this country by seven or eight nations that surround them. All right? The nations are mentioned there uh, to, to us in the book of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, what's interesting about this, as we read this in context, in this verse, verse 8, it says, with its people gathered from many nations. In other words, Israel, they, the people will be gathered to the land. In many nations, from many nations, in other words, not just one nation, in the last days, you're going to attack a group of people that have come back to their land, coming from many nations, to a land that is desolate. A land that's desolate. Not a land of milk and honey, a land that's desolate, they're told at that particular time. And when when they return, we're told in the book of Isaiah, it's going to be from a second time, a second exile that they're going to be removed. So we have Jesus saying... You're going to be judged, but God's not through with you. Ezekiel 38 8 says, in the last days, this nation's going to come back to the land that's been, you know, decimated by the sword, not a land of milk and honey, a desolate land. People are going to come there from many nations around the world, and it's going to be the second time they return, according to Isaiah 11 and 12. And then we're told when we read the book of Amos, chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, we're going to find out that these people will never be removed once they come back. Now, listen to the specific promise. Let me go over them again. They're going to be scattered. This is before, you know, this is AD 33. Jesus going to Calvary's cross. It wasn't until 40 years later, the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Uh, God, but God had not rejected them. All right. God's not through with them. Again, the promise, just like Jeremiah gave the people. Look, even though you're scattered, God's not through with you. All right. They're going to return, but only return in the last days. No return beforehand. Very specific. And then they're going to come from many nations around the world, not just one, but many nations. And uh, that's where they're coming from, to a land that's been devastated by war. That's the nation they're going to come back to. It's going to be a second time they have been removed and a second exile. But once back, they're never, ever going to be removed. Alright, those are the predictions of Scripture with, with respect to Israel in the last days. Now I want to read you another one of these commentators, a man named Elhanan Winchester, commenting on these predictions. Now listen very carefully what he said. Nothing need to be more plainly declared than this, that the Jews shall certainly return to and possess their own land again, notwithstanding their long captivity and utter dispersion. Moses, that great prophet, spoke of these events in various places and expressly declared that they should take place in the latter days. Now, he quotes Moses here. I quoted Ezekiel thirty-eight-eight. He quotes Moses in Deuteronomy, two passages there, and one in Leviticus. Okay, nothing need be more plainly stated than this. The Jews are going to return to and possess their own land again in the last days. <laughs> he wrote this in a, a series of lectures, a course of lectures on prophecies that remain to be fulfilled. He wrote that in the year... 1789. 1789. 1,700 years after these predictions were made, he said there still remained to be fulfilled. 1,700 years after the Jews were scattered throughout the entire world, their city and temple destroyed. No state of Israel. They're out again, the four corners of the earth. Nothing be more plainly stated than this. Why did he say that? Why did he say it? You know why? He had the word of God in front of him. And here's the promise, the great promise of God. If God says something, uh, it's going to come to pass. Well, what's the verdict of history? Well, very clearly, the Jews were scattered, as Jesus predicted, right? Number two, God was not through with them, as we saw, as these uh, different commentators noted. They're still around. They're still existing as a distinct people. They have returned in the last days. Now, these people never saw it. We, we saw it. May 14th, most of us didn't. May 14th, 1948, if you're alive at that time, you would have been there to see it. When the modern state of Israel was reborn, they have returned. They have come from many nations around the world. They have returned to a land that has been devastated by war. And this is something else that's literally incredible. When you go to Israel, you see the pictures, particularly in the Arab Megiddo, where the Battle of the Campaign of Armageddon is going to be fought, where the nations are going to rally there and muster together for the last war campaign. Uh, Pictures of Megiddo, they have these black and white pictures of it where it looked at the beginning of the 20th century when the Jews bought land from the Arabs that are there in that particular area. It was swamp-infested there was malaria there. There was nothing good about it. It was the worst type of land you could ever wish to see. It was horrific there, and the Arabs thought, what well, really took these Jews? We sold them this land. It's, it's totally worthless. You go to Megiddo today on the plain of Sharon, and you stand there on the mountain of Megiddo, and you look out, you will not see a more lush, fertile place on the face of this earth than right there, the valley of Megiddo, because the Jews miraculously turned it around very cleverly turned it you know into a, a non area of uh, malaria mosquitoes and made it one of the greatest you know places on earth where you can you know uh, Fruit and vegetables and grow things. there. It's literally incredible. Because you look at the pictures there, you know, black and white of the early 20th century, you think, how in the world these people even hang around here? And then you see the difference there. A land that's been turned around. And so that exactly um, happened. Devastated by war, but totally devastated by war. A country that was nothing but weeds and in total desolation. Now, here's a great one <laughs> they've returned from a second exile, according to Isaiah. Isaiah 11 and 12, 11, chapter 11, verse 11, 12. They're going to return a second time from a second exile. Well, why is that so amazing? (laughs) When Isaiah wrote this, 700 B.C., they hadn't even gone to the first exile yet. They hadn't even been taken to Babylon. He's writing about way in the future, in the last days, when they come back from various nations around the world. He made it clear, not just from one nation, because... After the 70-year Babylonian captivity, they were only in Babylon, they came back from there. He starts mentioning all these places are going to come from in the last days, and it'll be a second exile before a first exile happened. And then again, uh, as the Bible said, they really cannot be removed from their land. No way, shape, or form. Uh, they've had three major wars since the beginning of the founding of the, uh, the State of Israel, 1948, 1967, 1973. 1948, when the modern state of Israel was reborn, on the 14th of May, one minute after midnight, they were attacked by all their Arab neighbors, and it looked like Israel had no chance. Literally, they had first, uh, like, World War I weapons against, against <clears throat> overwhelming odds, <laughs> but God miraculously, miraculously, basically, kept the nation going. All right. A second war broke out in the year 1967, the Six-Day War. Not only did the Israelis win the war, they captured the city of Jerusalem, the Golan Heights, you know, the Judean Hills and the such like, and they expanded their territory. In 1973, another war took place, the Yom Kippur War, and if the war had not been stopped by Henry Kissinger going to the UN and stopping the war, Israel would have captured Damascus, Syria in the north, and Cairo, Egypt in the south. Every single time there is a war, something happens where they gain more ground, gain more territory. They cannot be removed there because God has placed them there as a sign to the world, as the sign in the last days that we are at the time of the very end. And we see this happen over and over and over again. Israel being in the spotlight of the world is one of our 25 signs, and here they are today in the spotlight. They're there in unbelief of Jesus, but they are there, just had their 70th anniversary, and it's literally incredible to see all these things take place. And so here, all that to say this, we see then, if we're adding, just adding up, under point one, I gave you four specific predictions of the Bible. Abram, he's going to have a great nation. Uh, Again, his name's going to be made great. They're going to continue to exist, and specifically, they're going to exist at the time of the end. Check all those off, all right? The second prediction, as these nations have done to Israel, so God will do to them. Prediction number two, well, what do we see? No more Philistines, no more Malachites, no more Edomites, no more Ammonites, no more Moabites, okay? But God's wiped them out because they tried to wipe out Israel. But the Egyptians, God said, no, no, they're going to still be around at the time of the end. We have Egyptians, we have Israelites, Israelis, we don't have these other five. But then, the big sign, the miracle of their return. Remember, no other nation in the history of the human race has ever returned from their land after being gone once. It's happened to Israel not once, but twice. Once after 70 years, once after 1900 years, and both times predicted by Scripture. Why? Because you and I serve a very, very faithful God that means what he says, and he says what he means. And so the same God that has made predictions with this nation of Israel, uh, with the history of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has made predictions for you and me, And he's made promises that we can literally take to the bank. And this is why this is so important. Like I said, every time a prophecy is made, it's always where there's a need. When Abraham and Sarah had the need to conceive a child, when Jeremiah is talking to these people that are going to go in captivity for 70 years, their city's going to be destroyed, their temple's going to be destroyed. When Jesus told the people of his day, you know, judgment is coming, but there's going to come a time when Jerusalem will no longer be trodden down by the nations. In other words, there's hope, and God is here today to give each and every one of us hope with respect to the future. In other words, the story isn't over yet. Now, can you imagine living like Elhanan Winchester 1,700 years after the fact and writing something like, well, nothing is more obvious than this? I mean, it's been 1,700 years since there's been a a, a nation of Israel in the land. Can you imagine how foolish he looked writing that? But see, he didn't care because he had something. The word of the living God, the promises of God, he knew someday they'd be fulfilled. Now, he never lived to see him, but you and I have. We're seeing all these things now happen right in front of our very eyes. I'm giving a talk tonight at the uh, 412 church out in San Jacinto from Ezekiel 38 and 39. One of the things I tell the group is um, it's, it's based on a talk I, I, I put together a number of years ago. And I said, you know, I thought of, and it's, this is the last day's invasion. So I, I just read these chapters and I put down, well, what would happen? You know, what what is the world supposed to look like at the time of this invasion? And I just wrote down like 10 different things that were assumed to be true at the time this invasion invasion would take place. This was written 2,500 years ago. Then I looked at the list of the 10 things. And guess what? Every one of them has been literally fulfilled. Everything is in place. How wild is that? Well, hopefully the point you're getting, you serve a God who exists, a God who's in control, and a God who's guiding your life, and a God who's guiding my life, and a God who's looking after you just after as he looked after Abram and Sarah, after he looked after Jeremiah and the people there, after he looked at the people Jesus told would be scattered. And as he looked after these commentators that lived the last 2,000 years, that all they had was faith in the God of the Bible, looking around, saying, well, the Jews are a, a, a miracle here. They still exist. They're distinct people, their own laws, their own dress. You know, there will be a day they come back. They didn't live to see it. You and I did. So it's really a fabulous, fabulous time to be alive. It is that we see God working in the world. I'll tell you two quick stories, and we'll end because I'm running out of time here. Uh, my first trip to Israel in 1976, as I was mentioning, uh, had a privilege of meeting with one of the high, um, uh, you know, leaders in the— city of Jerusalem at the time of the 1973 Six-Day War. He, uh, uh, so as Josh and I, we were there making a Christian film, and they realized Christians are their best friends. And so we got, we were set up with this, this person. Uh, I can't remember his name. It was Michael or Peter, one of the two. Anyway, we're at the King David Hotel there, the very, you know, it's the hotel there. All the diplomats stay at the presidents and prime ministers when they go to Jerusalem. Anyway, <clears throat> we met with him, and uh, he said, you can ask us anything you want about the nation of Israel, and Josh asked him this question. He said, I love it. He says, why should we as Americans support Israel? And this guy had a great sense of humor. In fact, I use this line all all the time now. He said, is, you're, you guys are for the underdog. Israel is such an underdog. Look, 110 million Arabs at that time surrounding us. were a nation of three million. Our nation is so small, you have to write Israel out in the Mediterranean Sea. It doesn't even fit in the country in the map, you know. You can't even write it on the map. We're so small. It's like you need a magnifying glass to see it. Anyway, they ask him a bunch of questions, and finally at the end, uh, it was this. Josh said, okay, Don, do you have a question for Michael? And I said, yeah, I sure do. I said, can you please explain this to me? Something I've always wanted to know from a Jewish, you know, a figure, leader. I, and I went through their history. I said, you have been twice removed from your land, twice come back, once after 70 years, once after 1900 years. We were told from 1948 to 1967, when Jerusalem was divided right down the middle, that the broadcast, the television broadcast from, it was called Transjordan at the time, from East Jerusalem, would be broadcast into West Jerusalem. And the presenter who did the news every night would sign off with this. The person would look into the camera, and here's what they would say to the Jews. This is our message for you. We are going to kill every last man, woman, and child of you. We are going to drive you all into the Mediterranean Sea. I don't know if they said, have a nice day after that, or good night. But anyway, that that's how they ended the broadcast. Can you imagine seeing that? This is your news broadcast that comes across. We're going to kill every last man, woman, and child of you. Yet what happens? And I went on. I said, there, we're, you know, in 67, look. Uh, at that war, You looked like you were going to be, all was lost. You recaptured. You liberated Jerusalem. You liberated the Temple Mount, the Mount of Olives, the Golan Heights, as it were. And then in 1973, which is really, uh, you know, fresh then, it was only three years after that, in the Yom Kippur War, you were, you were caught really not expecting this attack. And if it weren't for miracles, you know, one after another, your nation would be destroyed. And it, it literally, one miracle after another happened. In fact, and I said, well, how could this be every single time, you know, uh, you know, a war breaks out, you guys gain territory. In fact, there was a shirt. I wish I would have bought it years and years ago. I've never seen it since in Israel. It said this attack us again. We need the land. And anyway, so, uh, so I said, so I, here's the question I asked him How could this be? Can, how in the world can this little nation, it was 3 million people at the time, surrounded by 110 million Arabs, three major wars, every time you gain ground? And I said, is it because you're the greatest fighting force in the world? Or I said, it's something bigger than you guiding this. I'll never forget his answer. He says, he had, he's a British guy. He has nicely trimmed beard, three-piece suit on. He starts rubbing the beard, and he says, you know, you're right. We're kind of like a dead corpse that's come back to life. I don't know if he's thinking of Ezekiel 37, the dry bones, but that's what came to my mind. And then he said this. He said, when you go through this country, you'll talk to people, and they will, uh, they will brag how great they are. Have we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps? We're this great army of people. We're doing this. We're doing that. And we've done it all on our own. He, he said, uh, <clears throat> don't you believe it. He said, uh, everyone knows deep down inside something bigger than us is guiding us. And here's the illustration he gave us. He said at the time in 1967 when Jerusalem was u- reunited, from the, for the, literally for the first time since the time of Christ, actually the first time as United City uh, with the Israelis uh, you know, ruling it since the time of you know um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, 600 years before the time of Christ. Here's what he said at that time when the word got out that jerusalem was liberated and we had the entire city now unified there was of a population of three million people one million people either at or on the way to the wailing wall to give thanks to god that our city had been united he said yes we know something bigger than us is guiding this and and you know this is not happening by chance i've never forgotten that because it is now they don't understand they're still in unbelief they're still in blindness but they understand something bigger is taking uh, charge of this nation and that we do know from the Bible what it is. God is working his plan. All right, one last thing here. And we'll wrap it up. Uh, <clears throat> a number of months ago, it's been a while now, not very recently, we, uh, Billy Graham left us. Um, Billy Graham was a great inspiration to many of us. To me, uh, he was one of the things that brought me actually to faith in Christ. I'll tell the story. When I was an unbeliever, uh, my brother and I we were still, it was right after high school, living with my mother. My dad hadn't left us. We were, didn't have much. Uh, we were, you know, doing drugs, alcohol, a whole bit. One night uh, I came home. I don't know if it was drunk or stoned or whatever. My mother had gone to bed and the TV was on. It was Billy Graham. And I sat down and I started watching and I thought, this is pretty good actually you know and I thought about it but oh, I don't know if this is for me and then of course um, shortly later a few months later at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa I happened to come in on a Friday night a lot of circumstances brought me there and I remember that night looking around as clear as it was yesterday it was uh, March of 1970 and um, this Friday night service and I looked around and I saw these people with their hands up worshiping Jesus and I thought this is it this is where I belong I'm going to be here the rest of my life. And here I am, what, 48 years later still, still doing it. But anyway, um, the faithfulness of God. But Billy is the one that kind of, you know, got me, got me started there. Well, anyway, after Billy passed, my wife, who um, uh, works in this area, by the way, too, she, was, uh, she called me up. and I don't actually text me. No one talks on the phone anymore, right? We just text. So uh, uh, she texts. She goes, you, I don't believe this. Uh, I said, what? I said, I went out the door of where she works and she's right on, you know, on the 10 freeway in the, you know, Montclair, Ontario area off the 10 mountain Avenue. She looked out the door and there's this big billboard there with a big, you know, and it's one of these flashing billboards now for you have seen, they're starting to put these on the freeway. You know, like you get two pizzas for 10 bucks or buy a used car here or something like this. I said, you can't, you don't believe it. I said, what? There's a picture of Billy out there on the billboard. You're kidding. And maybe some of you saw it. There's a picture of Billy Graham. I said, Does it say anything? She said, Yeah, two words gone home. And I thought, Oh, man. Hundreds of thousands of people in the next few weeks that drove by there saw the picture of Billy Graham and the words under his name gone home. See, Billy's still reaching people after he dies, he's still bringing people into the kingdom of heaven. And I thought, how wonderful, what a great testimony, 99 years of age, and he is home. He's home to be with the Lord. Anyway, all that to say this, a number of years ago, Billy was once asked by a secular reporter, are you an optimist or a pessimist? You know, you've been around a long time. And Billy said, I'm an optimist. And the man says, why? Look at all the problems in the world. Look it's going- You're still an optimist? And Billy said, yes. And he said, why? Billy said this. I'm an optimist because I have read the last chapter of the book of Revelation, and we win. All right, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that we do win. Thank you as we're getting near the time of the end that we see your hand working in the world in this miraculous way above and beyond anything that we can imagine or ask or think. We are incredibly blessed to be living in these days where we see it, not by faith, but just by opening our eyes. We thank you for um, people like J.C. Ryle, for Elhanan Winchester who lived in the past, never saw these days, but by faith believed they would come about simply because your word said, this is what's gonna happen. And we thank you as we look around, Lord, we see the signs of the times ever before us. But not only seeing as we're going closer, to the end of the age coming before us, but we see signs, Lord, that you keep your promises. So, I pray today for every one of us that's come in here that are wondering about the promises of God in their life, wondering if God is going to come through. Well, Lord, we know you always do in your timing. And as you've done with Abraham and Sarah, as you did with the nation of Israel, as you've done so often in the past, you fulfill your word in your time. So, I pray what we've talked about today will not only show people here that what we're believing is not by blind faith this didn't happen by chance this is this is your word you've told us what's going to happen in the future so we can know what's going on but also to encourage us to show us you're with us too as we're going through things that we're not to give up that you're with us every step of the way and we thank you for it and lord we also thank you for billy for his testimony of the world and thank you that someday soon we'll all be home too in your presence in jesus precious name we thank you Amen. All right, God bless you guys.
1: You hear me when I call, you are my morning song,
0: though darkness fills
1: the night. It cannot hide the lie Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy Underneath my feet You are my sword and shield Though troubles linger still Whom shall I fear? Goes before me, I know who stands behind. The God of Angel Armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of Angel Armies is always by my side. strength is in your name. For you alone can say You will deliver me. Yours is the victory. Whom shall I in your hands I'm holding on to your promises you are faithful you are faithful you are faithful I know who goes before me I know who stands behind the God of Angel Armies is always by my side. The One who reigns forever, He is a friend of mine. The God of Angel Armies is always by my side. I know who goes before me, and I know who stands behind. The God of Angel Armies is always. We win.